Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zilkowski. First off, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint many of you because Larissa is not part of the podcast tonight. She's actually been a part of this with me since the end of January. We did three episodes together called The Zilkowski Years, Part 1, 2, and 3, where we talked about our time together dating, our time together during our engagement, and then our actual first year or so of marriage. Then we did an episode together called The Ups and Downs that I've gotten very good review from several of you about, just talking about some of the difficulties that we went through as a couple with our infertility and our building of a family. And then we spent three episodes, most recently up to this last time that we were together, uh, talking about the adoption years and the time leading up to our spending time in the hospital with our birth mom, Crystal, the time in the hospital. And then most recently, two weeks ago, we talked about our first few weeks and months together as a family right through the end of our first six months when we had Alexis forever day, which was a tremendous blessing to all of us. So we've been together for several episodes. And so I hate to disappoint you, but she's not with us this time. But um, I'm going to honor her in my time. And I think I need to do this on my own. Um, and I'm going to talk about something that's timely right now. I mean, I realize that you're probably listening to this at some time very differently than when it was recorded, but uh, it's only a few days from Mother's Day. So it's just appropriate for me to talk about the two women who've been a mother in my context that have changed and shaped my life so greatly. My mom, uh, Barbara Zulkowski, and I'll spend some time talking about her, and then my lovely wife, Larissa, and the wonderful mom that she is, and that uh, we'll spend some time about that as well. So I just want to kind of share those two things with you. And and first, I want to talk about my mom. There was, in the late 1920s, this beautiful baby was born, and her name was Barbara Bell. She was born to Omer and Ruby Bell. She was the third of three children. She has an older, she had an older brother, Bill. She had an older sister named Marie, and then she was the youngest of the three, which is interesting because my wife is the youngest of three, and I am the youngest of three. Um, but Barbara Bell was born in Canyon City, Colorado. She um, was in a family. Ruby was a homemaker. Omer was a carpenter. He built the houses that they lived in. He built houses all over Fremont County, the county that they lived in. And she was raised there. Um, She grew up. And when she was in her teens, specifically um, mid to late teens, she um, and early 20s, actually, she met a young man who was from a small town about eight miles uh, east of her, a little town called Rockville, Colorado, a gentleman by the name of Alex Zilkowski, and that's my dad. Um, he was born in Rockville. 
he was born to a coal mining family. His family was, his dad was one of the people who came across the ocean on the boat from Poland and settled in one of several communities where Polish-speaking people tended to congregate, and Rockville was one of those places. And he was raised among many brothers and sisters. Um, he is not the youngest nor the oldest. He's come somewhere right in the middle. And uh, they fell in love, and they spent... Uh, time growing in that love, but it was interrupted by something called World War II. My dad entered World War II at the very end of the war uh, as an 18-year-old man, and uh, he was served as a clerk in uh, Germany. He spent some time there. He was, if you're familiar with the TV show MASH, he was kind of radar. He was the guy who kept everything running and kept all the forms filled out and filed all the paperwork and did all of that. And he did that in Germany for the latter part of the war. Um, never saw any tremendous difficult action or anything of that nature. It was all kind of wrapping up by that point. But he was separated from this woman that he loved. And they shared a series of letters that I have in my possession now, which are really special to me. Just tremendously deep, heartfelt love letters from this young girl to this young guy telling her how much she misses him and what's going on at home and how she wishes he was here. And and so when he came back from the war, they, they began a family. They raised uh, three kids together. They had four. They lost one shortly after childbirth. Um, Michael was born in 1951 and, and passed away a few days after he was born, which turns out is a genetic abnormality that she, my mom, had in her that was passed down to my brother and I as well. And part of the reason why, if you go back and listen to Ups and Downs, um, part of the reason why Larissa and I couldn't conceive. But obviously, I only know all of this about my mom from the stories that I've heard, the time that I've spent with my dad learning about my mom. Um, and just the history of our family, but it also comes from reading these letters and seeing her heart poured out from pen to paper for this man that she loved. And my mom was very much the quintessential make sure it happens at home kind of mom. She wasn't a homemaker. She was uh, a CNA, as they call them now, certified nurse assistant, but she was just referred to herself as a nurse's aide. Um, in my hometown of Florence, Colorado, there was a hospital for a long time. It doesn't exist anymore, but there was a hospital in our hometown that was maybe a 30-bed hospital. And my mom did all the things that the nurses didn't have time for because they had so much to do, but she cleaned bedpans and she helped people in and out of bed and she cared for people and she loved people. And she did it typically on a three to 1130 shift and, and then took care of us during the day and took care of us on our days off and dealt with the chaos of, of home and three kids that were separated by basically five years between the three of them. Um, I can recall instances of my mom's dealing with us. I, one in particular, my sister loves to tell this story. My sister and I got into a major fight after school. We were kind of latchkey kids, but in those days, you live in a small town of 1,200 people. You walk home from school. You, the house is unlocked. You let yourself in. You spend maybe an hour, an hour and a half before mom gets home. 
it was not a big deal at that time. I know we live in a very different world now, but at that time, that was the reality of most kids. And so we would come home. My sister would get home typically first. I'd come home second. And you have to understand, I was four years behind my sister in school, so I was always the annoying little brother. Um, from whenever, whatever age, from age four, I played with her dolls and wrecked her dolls when she was off at school. And when I was 12, I was the, as I've, you've heard in this podcast before, I was the 12 year old little boy who was just discovering girls as she and her friends wandered around at the age of 16. And I couldn't stay off of my own tongue. Um, and just on and on and on. I was the annoying little brother and we fought. My sister and I love each other dearly now and we get along very, very well. But when we were kids, we were just awful to each other. And me more so than her. I was pretty awful to my sister. And Michelle, I know if you have an opportunity to listen to this, I'll just ask your forgiveness. I know I've done it before, but I'll ask your forgiveness again for all the wicked things that I've done. But one day in particular, my mom comes home from work and she walks through the living room and I'm lying on the floor in the living room, half dead, um, by my own opinion. My sister's running through the house screaming, also half dead. She and I had had a fight and it had broken down to the point where my sister grabbed a large knife out of the kitchen drawer and came after me with it. So I threw our footstool, little kind of four-legged um, hassock, we called it, a, a four-legged footstool that sat in front of my dad's chair and threw it at her, snapped the leg off of it. And my mom, being the champion mom that she was, just walked through the chaos as quietly as possible and went about what she was doing and just didn't deal with it at the moment. She knew that eventually we'd both settle down, we'd both come to our senses, and we would kind of start to talk to her about it. And then there'd be the whole, he did this and she did this, and we'd end up kind of accusing one another. And she would wait for the truth to kind of settle into the middle of all of it, and then she would deal with it. And if it wasn't if it wasn't something that she could resolve with us, then it was the, the line that every kid dreads to hear, we'll wait till your father gets home. And my both of my parents, neither of my parents were um, harsh disciplinarians. There was grounding. There was go sit in your room, go, you know, take some time, think about what you've done. But there was not hitting or anything of that nature in our family. Um, we were not corporally punished most of the time. It was an option and it was it was kind of the last option, but it was definitely not something they had to resort to very often. But my mom was just this sweet little woman who took care of a family. She had her flaws. My mom smoked like a chimney for the first 14 years of my life. She smoked cools, which are mentholated nicotine-filled cigarettes, which are not only is the nicotine highly addictive, the menthol is actually even more addictive. And my mom smoked a lot when we were growing up. And, and she had her flaws, as I said, but she had a love for her family and a concern for her family that just overrode anything else, including her own well-being. She, like most moms, was always the last to eat, the last to take a bath, the last to get cleaned up prior to church, any of those things, because she always made sure that it happened for everybody else before she did it for herself. Um, I recall some of the 
intersections of my putting my sister through such terrible trauma and my mom being present. And one of the stories that I want to tell you was my sister, when she was about 16, I was probably 12 at the time, she was enamored with the boy who lived across the street. There were two young guys who lived across the street, brothers, Bill and Steve Andrews. Steve being the younger one, he was my sister's age. Bill was, Bill was a couple years older. And Steve was actually the one who taught me how to ride a bike. Um, none of my family could put up with my knowing how to do it, yet falling all the time. And Steve was actually patient enough to teach me how to ride a bike. So they were close. We And even at the age of 16, being four years older, Steve and Bill both played with me as a little kid, as a 12-year-old, and made me feel included. But my sister had a huge crush on Steve. And I knew I could get to her through that crush. So one day I was playing in front of Steve's yard. I'd been in their house and I'd come out and I and I noticed in the front of their house they had a curb and the ditch in the front of their house ran through this area of concrete curb area. That didn't wasn't always the case in Florence. Sometimes the ditch was dirt and just kind of a dug little trench, but in this case it was a concrete area and laying in that concrete area was a dirty dusty mud filled Dr. Pepper can and I took the Dr. Pepper can and I ran some water in it and I scrubbed the mud off of the outside and I rinsed it out and I got it fairly pristine looking pretty nice and I filled it about halfway full with ditch water and I trotted across the street to our house marched in the front door and walked into the kitchen with my mom standing right there, I told my sister a huge lie and told her that her boyfriend Steve didn't want to finish his Dr. Pepper and he wanted her to have it. And she, without thinking, takes a giant swig out of this can of ditch water, spits it across the room, and my mom is just like beside herself, like, do you not realize that could have hurt her? Like, what are you thinking? And why would you do it in my presence? And I was a 12-year-old boy who wanted to needle my sister. I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. But those were some of the things that my mom had to put up with from, you know, falling down half dead to watching us playing hockey in the in the front room. Um, we one Christmas got a little toy that allowed us to, it was a, a hockey player and you would put this little plastic puck in front of him and you'd whack him on top of the head and he would s slap his stick and he'd knock the puck a few, you know, maybe a foot, a foot and a half. Well, the guy himself became less and less attractive to me as a 12 year old or whatever age I was, maybe 10 it became more fun for us all to play hockey in the in the living room. And so we'd clear all the furniture out of the way and we'd grab wooden spoons out of the kitchen. And my brother and my sister and I, we would play hockey and knock furniture over and just basically destroy the house. And in all of this, my mom was just this gracious, hardworking, smooth as glass temperament kind of person that just kind of dealt with the chaos of life with three kids and a husband who worked a lot and her own job and all of these things. And I appreciate my mom so much, but in all of that, I have to tell you about one particular story about my mom that really kind of gets to the heart of who my mom was. Um, I was fairly young at the time 
And my mom, again, worked at the hospital. She left the hospital one afternoon and she was going to stop to visit a friend, uh, uh, my cousin, who was in her 20s, maybe early 30s, who had three kids at home. And she stopped by her apartment and the kids were there and they were by themselves. And that was a little unusual, even for what I said about being latchkey kids. You know, we were older when we were latchkey kids. These were younger kids and they were home by themselves. And my mom got concerned. And so she called the police thinking something had happened to my cousin. Well, my cousin had gotten maybe four blocks down the street that she lived on, went to the grocery store, thought she could get back and didn't think anything of it. Well, in the meantime, my mom had called the police. The police are waiting for her. They're asking her questions like Children Protective Services would do now. And it caused a rift between my mom and my cousin. And my cousin made a veiled threat to my mom. She said, don't ever let me catch your little boy alone. And I don't think my mom knew exactly what that meant, whether it meant I'll call the police on you, I'll call Child Protective Services on you, or I'll do something to your kid. Now, granted, I didn't know any of this at the time. I don't think my sister or my brother knew anything about this. My mom knew it, and my dad knew it, and like parents who have to tell their kids no at times, knowing the bigger picture, all they could say is, you have to trust me, there are reasons why I'm doing this. So growing up as a kid, I had pretty strict rules about what I could do. I could ride my bike on our street, but I couldn't cross either street at the end of the street, nor could I go around the block. I basically could ride to the end of our street, turn around, drive to the other end of our street and come back. And as a kid, you're just thinking, why on earth are my parents being so strict? Why won't they let me cross the street? Now, granted at one end of the street, it's a two lane highway. It's a street in our town, but it's still a two lane highway. And it's people are sometimes traveling too fast. And so it was a little bit dangerous, but that's all I knew. I just figured it's the danger of crossing that street that my parents won't let me do. I'm not sure why they won't let me go around the block. It took several years before I convinced them to let me drive around the block. What I didn't know was what had transpired between my mom and my cousin and the threat that was made. And so my mom doing the dead level best that she could to protect me drew the line and said, this is where you can go and you just can't go beyond this and I can't tell you why. And my mom loved me that way her whole life. Um, When my wife and I got married, and I explained this in a previous episode as well, my dad came to the wedding. He was, it was the very first time my wife had met my dad. He was there for the wedding. When he went back, my mom, who had been bedridden for many years and was by that time in a nursing home, uh, my dad went back, told my mom the whole story. My mom had a fertile mind and a body that wouldn't work. And so she listened to my dad say all these stories and she understood what was going on and that I had moved on to the next stage of my life. And I had a wife and I had a family and my mom, I believe in my heart that my mom realized at that point that her job of protecting me was no longer necessary. And it wasn't too long after that, that she just kind of started to go downhill and passed away several months after that. So that's my mom. My mom was my protector. My mom was, uh, again, rock solid, steady as glass, um, very few highs, very few lows, just kind of dealt with the chaos and loved us that way. And, and I'm so grateful 
for the woman that she was and the and the man that she taught me to be both her and my dad and and other people in my life that have been influential in my life but my mom she's very much at the core of who I am now i realize that a podcast can be a little bit like facebook we only put the best things out there you know my garden looks beautiful it looks like this my kids are doing great they're the you know student of the month and all these things and there's real nitty gritty in everybody's lives that probably doesn't make it to Facebook and probably is not going to make it to this podcast either. So you have to understand, my mom was not perfect. She was who she was and she was loving. But again, she had her flaws, but I owe who I am to my mom in a lot of ways. Who I am today, I owe to the next person that has loved me beyond anything I could ever imagine. When I met a young lady named Larissa Psalms in uh, January of actually December of 2004, I had no idea at the time that I was meeting a young woman that I would eventually ask to marry me. We had had opportunities to meet, and you can go back and listen to our dating years and hear all the times that we were in each other's presence, but not quite didn't quite meet meet um, even within six months prior to actually meeting for the first time. But I realized after spending some time with this young lady that she loved the Lord primarily. Her life was devoted to her family. Her life was devoted to her friends. But more than anything, her life was devoted to who Christ had made her to be. And it was very attractive to me. Um, I had dated other people in my life. Um, I had dated intentionally someone in Nashville at one time, and but it just never quite was what God told both of us that was to be what it was to be. Um, but when I met Larissa, I knew it was to be what God meant it to be. And I look back on the relationships, and I'm grateful for the relationships that I had, but I'm so grateful for this woman who is, again, not perfect, but is somebody who serves Christ and serves Christ well. And as somebody who was called to ministry, even at the age of 18 and 20, it became very obvious to me that whoever God was going to bring alongside me to walk this walk of life with is was going to have to have some things very much in common. They were going to need to have a love for little kids um, because I'd always loved babies on up. I If I wasn't in the tech booth in a church, I was in the nursery taking care of little kids. If I wasn't facilitating something with the worship team, I was working with students in the classroom I was always about kids of all ages. And when I met Larissa, I knew that she had this heart for kids and this heart for family. And she had this tremendous love for the Lord and for service. And And I knew that as someone who's called to ministry, it would take somebody like that to walk with me through the ups and downs, the hurts, the the difficulties, the crushing blows, and the highest highs of, of serving Christ in a church. And I'm so grateful for her. 
And when we began to go through those ups and downs, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode, and we realized that we were not going to be able to conceive naturally, I watched my wife go through one of the most crushing periods of her life. She had lived her entire life with one major goal and from this time on earth was to be a mother and to experience the beauty of childbirth, the difficulty of childbirth, but the gloriousness of childbirth and raising a child from infancy. And when we realized that we were not going to be able to do that because of the difficulties that I had, she knew that God had given me to her to be her husband and that God was there for her and that that was enough, even if we never had children. But again, God was gracious to both of us and gave us a, a, a young lady by the name of Alexa, allowed us the privilege of raising Alexa from the age of three days old and to love and care for her. So my wife got the privilege of doing all of those things except the childbirth part, except the morning sickness and the birth pains and all of that. But she's gotten everything else. And again, it's not easy. It's not easy being parents of a kid in this day and age. The world is after our kids, and they're after specifically the young women in our lives, our, our adolescent girls. And God proves himself faithful through my wife every day. My wife does not go a day without telling me that she loves me. She doesn't go a day without telling Alexa that she loves her. She proves it in her actions, but she also says it with her words, and she says it with the totality of her life. And again, my wife is not perfect, and she's not the perfect mom, and she'll be the first person to tell you that. But she is the model of what a mom is, somebody that lays their life on the line for their kids, who eats last, who bathes last, who sleep, goes to sleep last, who wakes up in the middle of the night for 2 a.m. feedings while I lie in bed next to her going, I'm, it was crazy, Alexa slept through the night again last night, and my wife would look at me with steely eyes going, no, she didn't, she was up twice, and I fed her right here in the bed next to you while you slept because I love you enough to have let you sleep. That's my wife. That's my wife in a nutshell, giving her life away, loving her daughter with every fiber of her being and loving me with every fiber of her being. But more importantly, and I say that and think about the kind of absurdity of saying that because how could she love both of us with every fiber of her being? It's because she's constantly loving her heavenly father and being filled by her heavenly father. And it's only because of her love for God and her abiding in God and her, her living her life as a Christian woman that she has the margin to love me as much as she does, to love Alexa as much as she does. So this is my wife and this is my child's mother and she deserves much recognition. She deserves much praise She's not the kind of person that wants to get flowers on Mother's Day. She doesn't 
particularly care for the cards and she's always thinking about the cost. Well, why would you spend $7 on a card that I'm going to look at once and put in a drawer or throw away? But she has love languages. I know specifically that my wife is blessed greatly by acts of service. My daughter emptied the dishwasher last night and I filled it and I ran the next load and that speaks volumes to my wife. I did laundry last night, and that speaks volumes to my wife. She, she, she loves through gifts at times, but she's not driven by that at all. But a, a well-placed, something that's truly important to her, and it usually involves cookware, um, is, speaks volumes to my wife. Not flowers that are going to die, but plants that she can grow and nurture and love and care for in a garden go a big a long way with my wife uh, a new set of pans that allows her to cook and bless other people goes a long way in her life and you hear in everything i'm saying about larissa that even the things that she finds a blessing as a gift is really about her turning that and giving it away because that's the kind of person that she is. That's the kind of mom that she is. And she doesn't hear it often enough from Alexa and I. And so part of my goal in all of this was to share with you what brought me to this point in my life and who I, who I am because of my mom, but also to share with you who I am becoming because of my wife and the love that she has for me and for our daughter and for our family. So be blessed, be greatly encouraged, Larissa. In the midst of difficult storms, be encouraged that you are the mom that God called you to be. You are the woman that he is forming you and making you to be like I prayed for you that day back in 2005. And you are a tremendous encouragement and blessing to me as a man of God and as a father because you love so well. And I know this has gotten a little bit sappy <laughs> um, and it's been a little bit human-centric, but I want you to know that none of this is possible without the love of God. My mom had uh, an upbringing in Christianity, but she did not know the Lord until a little bit later in my life. But my mom's transformation that she went through when she came to know Christ was remarkable. And she loved me with the love of Christ. And she loved me with a sacrificial love like Christ loves us. My wife loves me every day. And she loves our daughter every day through the sacrificial love that she exhibits that is because of who Christ is. I don't know how parents raise kids without being connected to what John 15 calls the true vine, without being connected to Jesus. I don't know how they have the margin. I don't know how they have the overflow to love a family, to love a husband, to love a child or children without being indwelt, and f indwelt with the Holy Spirit and filled with who Jesus is to be able to give that away. I just don't know how they do it. I don't know how I could do it as a father if I didn't have Christ in my life. But I know that my wife exhibits that. 
And I know that my mom later in her years exhibited that. And that's my prayer for you. If you don't know Christ, my prayer is that you would first come to know Christ, that you would come to the end of yourself and realize that you can't do anything of any profit in this world. You can't do anything of any good. You can do a lot of you can create a lot of havoc and you can cause a lot of harm apart from Christ, but you can't do anything good without him being inside of you, without the Holy Spirit living the, God's life through Jesus Christ out, out through you. So come to the end of yourself today and, and surrender your life to Christ. Say, I can't do this and I need you, Jesus, to make me the man, the woman of God that I need to be so that you, God, can be glorified and so that my family and my friends and my husband and my children can be blessed. So that's my prayer for you if you don't know Christ. If you do know Christ and you've had a difficult life or your mom was far from what she needed to be in your life, I realize that those are true stories as well. And again, mine kind of looks like Facebook, but Yours may not look like Facebook. Yours may look like years of counseling to overcome something, some difficulty that you and your mom had. But know that your father loves you. Father God loves you. And he can still make you who you need to be, even if there was an absence of that in your own mom. So as I always do at our time, as at the conclusion of our time, let me pray for you. And we'll wrap this up. And, and then, uh, again, I've got some surprises for you over the next couple of times. But you can anticipate that at least within the next three episodes or so, I'm going to cover dads because I'm going to get to that point in the calendar now that it's going to be Father's Day. And I'll talk to you about the two fathers in my life, my, my dad, Alex, and my heavenly father, and how greatly both of them had had the impact that they've had on my life. So let me pray for you as we close today. Father, I thank you so much for this time together. I thank you for the privilege of just rehearsing who my mom was. And I thank you for Barbara Barbara Bell Zilkowski and, and the woman that you made her to be. Um, even before she knew you, Lord, you had a plan for her and you used her. And especially after she, you drew her to yourself and she came to know you, Lord, Thank you for the woman that she was, the sacrifice that she gave of her very life every day. Thank you for how she loved me, and thank you for how she made me the man that I am today. Thank you very much for the young girl that you raised up in central Indiana and the things that you taught her and the things that you plugged into her and the person that you made her and the way you saved her by your grace and the way you introduced her to me and the way that she loves me like no one ever has. And Lord, I thank you for these two women. I thank you for these two moms that are so instrumental in my life. And I pray, Father, that you would bless them greatly as they approach this weekend of the calendar where we celebrate moms, and that they would know that they are who they are because of you. And that the moms who are listening would know that they are who they are because of you. And that the dads that are listening would celebrate the moms 
for who they are because of you. So Father, I pray that you would knit families together, that you would strengthen the bonds of marriage, that you would knit hearts together and lives together as only you can do, and that you would be glorified in our family and in the lives of the families that are listening to this podcast, Father. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness. And we look forward to what you're going to do each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for the time together. We'll see you in two weeks with a few more surprises. And then a few episodes after that, we'll cover dads. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.